What's up, everybody? We're back. Episode seven of the Give Blood podcast. We've got a special guest, uh, the guitar player for the band I Sing and Exit Strategy, also a Gracie Tampa black belt. Josh, want to introduce yourself? What's up, guys? Uh, my name is Josh Kator. I'm a long friend of Mr. White here, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under a gentleman named Rob Kahn. Play guitar and Exit Strategy, pretty much a lifelong musician. And I have to ask the the last name. Is there any ties to Randy Couture? I'm sure you get that all the time. But I'm a huge MMA fan, so <laughs> this is my first time speaking to you. So I just had to get that just out of the way. Yeah, no, not that I know of. Um, if it is, I'm sure it's pretty pretty far removed. Um, <clears throat> his family's from the other from like the, the west coast of Canada. And they moved down. My family is from the east coast of Canada. And moved down, so we moved down to like uh, to Boston and then down to Florida. Okay, that's awesome. So yeah, so probably pretty far removed. All right. And I'm just curious, like, how did uh, you two meet both Josh's? Yeah. So, uh, Transitions Art Gallery. I have to give a shout out there. Yeah. Um, it was a uh, Transitions Art Gallery was like a venue that was inside of Skate Park of Tampa. It was like attached to Skate Park of Tampa. And they would have shows, you know, for a long time. Uh, <laughs> they would have a lot of local bands, but they would have a lot of touring bands come through. Um, Josh was playing in a band called Strength of What Remains, and I was playing in a band called Action Speak Louder. Uh, we just played shows together and became friends. He was, I think he was like 16 at the time. Josh yeah, 16 or 17. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just have like a distinct memory of the first time I saw Strength in What Remains, you guys were all, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that was in the band, like when you guys actually started touring when I saw you guys, but no. I just remember the hands up, praise the Lord, man, that's that will forever be etched into my memory. <laughs> yeah, we were a super Christian band, Jamie. It was uh, it pretty was, wild. It I used was to amazing. book shows in my church. And uh, my church was in town and country, and that's like the neighborhood that Josh lived in. So yep. him and uh, the guys in his band, Action Speak Louder, would come and watch our band play shows at the church. And then we play transitions with their band because our church wouldn't let their bands probably play, I assume, because of like, <laughs> cursing or some bullshit. Probably. Um, and yeah. We actually recorded the first Strength of What Remains demo too. We recorded like two songs for you guys because yep. they had like their their demo was like like a cell phone recording essentially. And like we had a little studio, me and my buddy Kevin, shout out Kevin, Malice Strikes. Uh, we had a little studio and we were recording our own band and we were like, you know, we can help you guys out. We'll, we'll record a couple of songs for you guys. So you it was very cool. Have something to put out there. Man. And um, <clears throat> back then I was, you know, just this very much like uh in the last episode we talked to germ i always talked about how germ would tell me to do muay thai and josh would talk to me about like jujitsu and muay thai and uh i remember like vividly uh we recorded one day all day i, I did vocals and then immediately afterwards i thought i was gonna go home and josh goes all right come on you're coming with me you took me to this like whatever gym that is there on Hillsborough in town and country. Yeah. It's, I think it's like a home shopping network, like distribution center. Now it used to be in some like rinky dink little gym, but I would, I would bring Josh and make him come lift weights with me. He'd make me, and I would literally <laughs> be like, I, I don't want to do this. This is so stupid. And, I would, and, and it would, it was like the most half-assed workout I ever did in my life. And he would just try so hard to get me involved in the physical culture and, like I said in the last episode, I was like, I am, I, I want fucking nothing to do with this. I want to play in a band. I want to go on tour. And that's all I cared about. And then uh, also eating a lot of cheeseburgers at the time. That was my <laughs> priorities in life. And so it's very funny because, you know, I joined 
a gym in the network. And now, you know, Josh is a black belt in the network, you know, and teaches at one of our, you know, would, it, would that be called a sister school or? Yeah. It's affiliate. And uh, it's very cool to see like, you know, how life intersects and how we've stayed around each other. And then now Josh plays an exit strategy, which is essentially like the post strength and what remains band just minus the Jesus and Josh plays with us now. And it's uh it's, it's really cool how life like uh, is very circular and, and mm-hmm. You, this person I met when I was 16, I'm playing in a band with, but uh, I wanted to kind of break into like, where did you start your martial arts journey? Like, how did it happen? Like, yeah, let's like kind of dig into that a little bit. <clears throat> so, I mean, I know your the podcast is, is music and martial arts, right? So music came first for me. Like me, I did music, started playing guitar when I was like 13 years old. Uh, I used to sing in like, uh, I used to go to a Catholic school up in Ohio and I would sing in the, I used to have to sing the Alleluia and, you know, in the, the Catholic congregation, whatever. Um, so that was kind of like my first introduction to music and then playing guitar. And then I did that for a long time, but I started doing martial arts later on when I was about like 20 years old, I think. Um, I started doing Muay Thai. I was, I remember watching a pride fight. I think it was, it was Brandon Vera. I don't remember who he was fighting, but I remember seeing him fight this giant dude and he put him in like a tie plum and he started hitting him with knees. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's beating a guy bigger than him, you know, using this. I got to do that. So I went and found the first Muay Thai school that I could find. Just so happens to be Crew Dan's old school, uh, Dan Rawlings. He had a school called Griffin Rawl Muay Thai. Um, it was over in town and country, actually, on Hillsborough and Hanley. But uh so I trained there with him for maybe about a year, maybe a little over a year. The school closed down. Um, and then he just said, hey, everybody who's here, go train over here with this guy, Jalal, I think his name is. But ended up becoming Tampa Muay Thai. So trained with Dan. That closed down. Went to Tampa Muay Thai a couple of times. Like we were literally training in like a burnt out cigar factory. You could like see those like holes through the walls. I remember where. We're in there hitting tie pads and, you know, like doing combinations and stuff. And I'm looking over at the other room and there's these dudes in there with these like big swords and they're like training, like weapons training and stuff, you know, I'm like, like, this is pretty intense. You know, the building, I remember it had like a, it had like a portrait of like ballet dancers on the side of the building. It's actually close to where Tampa Muay Thai is at now, but obviously not the same building. Yeah. So I did that for a while, uh, ended up stop, stop training Muay Thai, uh, with those guys. And then. When I became friends with Germ, he was super into Muay Thai. So he, you know, me and him trained probably for like a year. We'd go lift weights. We'd bring tie pads into the gym and we'd sit there and hit tie pads and do combinations and stuff. And he'd help me there. Um, And I did that for a while and I was pretty content with doing that until until I was in Ybor City one night. Here comes comes a fight story. Uh, I was in Ybor City one night. Um, at this place called the James Joyce. This was when James Joyce was upstairs. It's like an Irish bar. Also, fuck that place. Yes, fuck that place. <laughs> Fucking racist idiots. Yes, yes. Um, so, <laughs> so it, we're at we're at James Joyce. Altercation happened with some frat boyish, you know, dudes. Whatever. Um, you know, we're fighting in the bar. We get kicked out of the bar. We go down on the street on Seventh Avenue. The kid, the the guy that I was, you know, having an altercation with, whatever, 
We see each other. He drops down and shoots a double leg on me, right? And I had never trained any kind of grappling before at all. Somehow, I luckily, like, sprawled, put him in what it, what I know now is a front headlock and kind of, like, sitting there holding him. I'm like, man, I know I could do something from here. I just I have no idea what to do, you know? So whatever, that, that fizzled out. Next day, I messaged my buddy Gabe Maldonado, who at the time was a purple belt under Rob Khan. I was like, I need to learn how to grapple. I'll come train it with you. So went to uh, went to Gracie Tampa, and you know, I've been there for 13 years now, something like that. It's been a little while. So, yeah, it's been a journey, man, for sure. But it was it was really a decision of, like, necessity kind of thing. Like, I got put into a situation where I'm like, man, this sucks. I don't know what to do, you know? And, and then I it, then I ended up falling in love with, with grappling, and I kind of – stop doing Muay Thai, you know, totally. But uh, yeah, man, grappling just kind of took over all of my interest as far as martial arts went. And I think I really liked it because, you know, if you're, if, if you're training kickboxing and you're going 100% when you're sparring, somebody's going to get knocked the fuck out. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get mad. In jiu-jitsu, you can go 100%, you know, you, you tap you're done. Everything's fine. Move on to the next person, you know? And I just really liked that kind of like realistic intensity that I got from jujitsu that you get that in Muay Thai too, but it's also like, there's more repercussions, I guess, from, you know, in Muay Thai. So yeah, that was that man. It was kind of based out of necessity for me. And then I just fell in love with it. And now like, I love the strategy. I love the game. I love the, the evolution of the techniques. I love the, just the science behind it, man. Like, and I really enjoy teaching jiu-jitsu too. Like that's, that's become a big part of my life and something that I take very seriously, you know? It's awesome. I, I like that you uh, started your martial arts with Dan Rawlings. So Dan Rawlings is my current striking coach. And in fact, I'm going to leave this podcast and immediately I'm going to go to Muay Thai sparring for a class that uh, Dan leads. And it's pretty, pretty ironic because now Dan coaches in the network. You know, like that's kind of cool to see I know. Yeah. that he was sorry. He sent you to Tampa Muay Thai and then flash forward. Now Dan Rawlings is coaching yep. at Gracie Tampa, uh, Grace Tampa South, where I train. And what he's such an amazing kickboxing coach, dude. Dan is absolutely the man. Unreal. Yeah. He beat, uh, he fought uh, Rami a couple times. I think he beat him too back in the day. You know, Rami, who does Rami mm-hmm. Elite in, uh, yeah, yeah. in Philly. And, uh, yeah, that dude is is so unassuming. You you would see Dan Rawlings walk into a room and think that he's like, oh yeah, some like little <laughs> soft, and then he just he's just a mastermind man. Yeah, he's like a mastermind of striking, and just a super nice human being too. Yeah, incredible, super nice guy. So how do you feel? So now that you're coaching and you've also you know after years you got your black belt, like you want to? Can you talk to the people listening about like any of the highs and lows or like? Did you say consistent training the whole time where their lapses in training? Um, yeah, you know, not a lot of people make it to be a black belt. It's a pretty uh, wild thing. I think you're the, you know, yeah, you're the first black belt we've had on the podcast. Nice. Um, and we've talked to like how many jujitsu guys now? Just one. No, we, we talked to Joe, who's a blue belt. Oh, we talked yeah. to Alejandro. Yeah, they had two. Yeah, because yeah, we had Germ and we had Sanzo. And then it was just me and you doing the the music episode. Oh yeah, and then we had the stupid episode, and then we had the two jiu jitsu episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so man, it's first black belt on the show. That's it cool. is. 
jujitsu is there's nothing easy about jujitsu, you know? And it's like, it's one of those things, like if you go into it, expecting it to be easy, you are going to be let down immediately. You know, it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to just go into as an open book. You can't have an ego about it. You just kind of have to accept it. You're not going to be good at this right away. You're going to get beat up. And then eventually over time you get better, you know, but uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's very, it's very gratifying for me. The most gratifying part of jujitsu is just sharing it with other people. It's teaching it. It's, you know, it's, it's teaching class and then seeing my students use the stuff that I'm teaching them, you know, that, that, cause I've been teaching jujitsu for probably about seven years now. And that was, you know, I, I always trained pretty consistently. I trained two to three days a week. Um, unless I got injured and they have to take time off. But once I started teaching, then that really kind of like kicked into high gear for me. And I'm like, I really need to take this seriously because I'm, you know, I'm taking in information and I'm giving it back out to people. And I want to make sure that I'm articulating this information correctly. And, you know, it, it really just pushed me to, to be better, you know, jujitsu. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is not easy. That's for sure. man. it's, it is uh, mentally taxing a lot of the times as well as physically. It's physically, it's the hardest thing. You know, I, I, I run three to five miles every day and I go in and train jujitsu for an hour. And it's like, and it, not incomparably more difficult, you know, it's the, the level of intensity is just, you know, you're at 11 and then you're at one and then you're at seven and then you're at two, you know, it's very up and down. It's like, it's like a sprinter cardio, you know, with, with grave repercussions when you make mistakes, you know, basically. And when you started training jujitsu, did you have like long-term goals? Like, uh, you know, like I want to get to a black belt and I want to eventually start teaching or did you want to, uh, you know, do more on the competition side? Yep. So for me, when I started jujitsu, I didn't, I never thought I would be a black belt. I had no aspirations of being a black belt. I only just wanted to kind of fill the gap in the knowledge that I had. You know, I wanted to understand how to grapple, basically, because I knew that was an important part of defending myself. So I went into jujitsu instead of like saying, OK, I'm going to get my blue belt and purple belt and yada, yada. I went into jujitsu, into jujitsu just saying, I'm going to train. I'm going to dedicate myself to training. I'm going to dedicate myself to showing up. And that's it. You know, I'm going to dedicate myself to the process. I'm going to make the process the goal rather than going in and being like, I have to get a black belt in nine years or I have to, you know, whatever. Like I didn't even think about it like that. I didn't even think about teaching. Teaching was like a product of them needing a class taught me being a purple belt and me saying, okay, I'll do it. You know, Mr. Dummy volunteer here, but I love it, you know, and, and I'm super happy that I did. I'm super happy that I like put myself out there and volunteered to teach essentially and fill this class that needed to be taught, you know, because it's had a, a hugely positive impact on my life. Absolutely. Like, you know, I think about jujitsu and it's like, I try to think about like the negatives of it. And I mean, what are the negatives? You get injured occasionally, you know, that's it. Maybe your ego gets a little beat up, but like, other than that, it's like socially, it's a great outlet. You know, it's like, it's an awesome workout. It's fun. You know, it has a, it has a lot of, kind of similarities uh, and appeal to other things even like music or even like religion stuff like that you know like like um, i'm sure you guys can both attest to this like 
you go to a show, it's an awesome show, or you play a show, you have a ton of fun, you get out of the show, you just feel this like euphoria. Like you just feel like this natural kind of like, oh man, like I'm in a good mood. This is fun. I'm having a good time. I can have the worst day at work, you know, get a fight with my wife, whatever. Go teach class. I don't want to teach class. 30 seconds into that class, I'm not thinking about anything except for my class. Five minutes of that class, I have a smile on my face. And then after class, I'm in one of the best moods I've ever been in, you know. And even like when I was a kid and I used to go to church, it was the same thing. You go to church, you get out of church, you're like in a good mood, you feel good, you know. Like, I don't know if it just taps into some kind of like uh, tribal, you know, kind of something that that people just have inside of them from, you know, 100,000 years ago when we were like hunter gatherers or what. I don't know, man. But uh, yeah, there's definitely something that you get out of it, you know, that's that's hard to explain, I guess. Yeah. I, I actually have said numerous times to people that uh, everything that I looked for in church, I found in jujitsu and I found in Muay Thai. Like, um, I think that it's there's something about like simul- si- simulated uh, strife, you know, that, you know, you were forced to problem solve and fight our way out of a negative situation. And then, but there's no like actual real repercussions in that moment, you know? Yeah. But it, at the end of that, when like I go sit in my car and I decompress for a second, I listen to music and I think about what happened. It's like, I was able to, you know, overcome adversity. I was able to uh, be humbled. I was able to uh, learn a valuable skill without potentially getting actually killed. You know, because I could tap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And then afterwards, I feel like all the shit that mattered to me that I took with me that was on my in my conscious when I walked on the mats or when I walked in the cage or in the ring, it's all gone because I just you can't think about like your daily stress while you have some dude trying to put you in an arm bar or trying to yep. choke you. So you have to disengage and uh, be li- live in the moment and think about like the task at hand. And afterwards, I think you can't get through an hour to, you know, if you're a maniac, like tonight, I'm going to have two and a half hours of it. And then, you know, it's like, you can't, uh, you can't come out of that, not in a better mental situation. Yeah. There's like a euphoria that you get when you're done. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Whereas Very when I leave church, it's like 50, 50, half the time I leave there feeling like a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There, I, yeah, I, it's interesting, Josh, because you said, you said something to me even a month ago or so you were like, did you ever take me for the type of person that would like get into martial arts like this? You know, they'd like, you were asking me and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like hundred percent. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And like, for me, the parallels between martial arts and like the music scene are there. And, you know, I, I've always seen how dedicated you were to the music scene, to your bands, to everything, you know? And it's like, I, you know, I, I know that that kind of ethic that you have for playing music and, you know, is, is going to be shared to anything that you do, especially to something like martial arts, which is kind of has that like similar kind of like reward from it, you know? Absolutely. So. And for you being in jujitsu for so long, 
what was it like uh you know experiencing like the rise in popularity of mma and jujitsu because you think about it you, you mentioned you started 13 years ago it was nowhere near as popular as it is today no yeah yeah it was very different it was i always tell my students it was like jumping in the fire you know old school jujitsu was there wasn't beginner classes there wasn't like advanced classes it was like okay we teach jujitsu you show up at seven o'clock ready let's go you know like it was it was very rough around the edges the the only people at least when i first started man like the, the only people that were really training were like like kind of like thugged out dudes who like wanted to you know learn how to kick some ass or like um the the more like athletic jockey dudes that were trying to get into like mma you know yeah you occasionally you'd have your like gamer computer kind of like nerdy guy which is what you see much more now in jiu-jitsu you see a lot more people who are into the the kind of strategy and gaming side of it than back in the day when it was like yo i'm tough i can do this you know <laughs> like yeah man i i remember like when i first first started training i uh I trained at a Gracie Tampa subsidiary under this guy named Ron Nagel. He was one of Rob's uh, brown belts. And he had a little school inside of a Gold's Gym, man. And it was probably like like 10 by 20 or something. It was tiny little school, you know. But it was uh, it was rough, man. I, I, I would go in there and, you know, these uh, – the, the the neighborhood that I lived in that I grew up in is pretty much Puerto Rican and Cuban, you know, so I'm in there training with a, with a bunch of Puerto Rican and Cuban dudes who fight on the street, you know, and they're rough and tough. And, you know, they, they let that kind of project into their jujitsu training also, you know, so it was like it was hard nosed, man. Like I, I remember I, I think I trained for probably like four months before I even submitted anyone, you know, like I was just getting my butt kicked because these guys, they weren't. They weren't like giving up an inch, you know what I mean? Nowadays, the martial arts schools and jiu-jitsu culture is so much more welcoming. It's so much more easy for just the average person to walk in and say, okay, I feel comfortable here. This is cool. Like the gyms are a lot nicer, you know. We have everybody has fancy rash guards now and stuff. Like back when I was training, it was like you have Under Armour rash guards that you can wear, or I think Sprawl was like a company that would uh, would make like shorts and rash guards and stuff, but like there wasn't anything. It was like, <laughs> it was nothing compared to the kind of like mainstream, you know, that it is now. I mean, obviously we can thank the UFC and we can thank Joe Rogan and we can thank, you know, people who basically preach this. And for good reason, it's the the, the product is great. You know, it's it is like a jujitsu is a systems systems approach to fighting, specifically grappling, you know, where they break positions down into systems and you work from systems from there. You know, it's, it's brilliant, really, but very different than when I first started training, you know, even like there's been such an evolution in it, too. And I don't mean to like ramble on here. No, that's awesome. Talk as long but, as you want. Okay. This there, is very informative. <laughs> there's been such an evolution to more than just the like aesthetic portion of jiu-jitsu there's been an evolution in just how the classes are structured the 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 principal elements of grappling have been much the the way that we apply them now the way that we teach them now is is so much better than it was when i first started like and i just give you an example like 
things like inside and outside position, right? Like if, uh, if you're grappling with somebody, your arms are on the inside of their arms, that's inside position. Their arms are on the inside of yours, yours are on the outside, that's outside position, right? We take the principal elements of that, like inside position is used for exposing, isolating, elevating people, right? If I have inside position with my legs, I'm elevating you. Inside position with my arms, I'm trying to get to your torso, I'm trying to expose you, or I'm trying to isolate your arm. We can explain that now. And that's when we're teaching class, we explain that, you know, we say we use inside position for this. We use outside position for locking people down, for holding people down. You know, back when we first started, when I first started training, it was like, get the underhook. Okay. You got the underhook. Cool. Now we're, you know, and it wasn't like the reason that we're going to get this underhook is so that we can, you know, like it's the, the small kind of principles are so much more, there's, there's so much, there's so much more spoken about you know, when it comes to like teaching and stuff, you know, and I think, I just think it makes the process of learning so much better too. You know, it's, I, I love that type of stuff. I love, I don't, I love taking the principal elements of things and like, I love the, the why rather than the what, you know, when I'm teaching class, I really want my students to understand why, you know, why are we putting an arm in this spot here? You know, cause it's everything you're doing when you're fighting your grap, you know, when you're grappling, whatever it's, you're doing it for a reason, you know, but a lot of times that reason is not really like harp, you know, it's not really like emphasized upon, you know, and I really try to make a point of that when I'm teaching class, like, this is why we are doing this, you know, it just helps me personally. It helps me learn, you know? Yeah. So I try to give that back to my students. So you, you don't think when you first started that jujitsu had such an analytical approach as it does now no, at all? No. And I, more- I think that, I think that that's probably like an American thing. You know what I mean? I think Americans are much more apt to want to structure things that way where like in Brazil, it's much more of kind of like do it. And this is, this is what you're going to do. And just don't ask questions. Let's just do it. You know? And I love Brazil and I got to train there last year and I'm not talking shit about Brazil or Brazilians because it's awesome. But like Americans are just like that. I think we're just naturally a little more analytical you know, maybe a little bit more like question, questioning of things, you know? Well, yeah. Cause I mean, look at the explosion of like, you know, quote unquote, everyone's using the term right now, American jujitsu on things, you know, but it's like, sure. um, what well, like him or not, besides him being a huge social media figure, you know, like if you watch any of those Gordon Ryan instructionals, it's not just like They're get great. the underhook. It's, it's Fantastic. breaking everything yeah. down, you know? Uh, I feel like, you know, him and you know obviously john donaher and even like when i was training in awesome at b team like everything was so broken down and so like like not just telling you what to do but why like you said and like i have only been doing jujitsu really seriously for two years so i think i've come into jujitsu when that's the norm but it's kind of interesting to hear your take and i feel like it's why the sport is like besides getting so much more popular through the ufc and with flow grappling like, I feel like there's a lot of crazy jujitsu athletes coming out of the States right now. Like I just watched oh, yeah. those West coast trials. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's insane. Yeah. It's the, yeah. Yeah. It's all been taken to the next level. And for sure. A lot of the best competitors in the world are coming out of America right now. You know I mean? Americans are fanatical about what we do. Yeah. <laughs> like when we do something, we take it seriously. You know, we take it to a, to a pretty extreme level, you know? And as far as the way you, you structure your classes, do you focus on like the meta like of like the jujitsu world or do you have like your own system that you like to run your students through? 
Um, yeah, for I mean, we definitely focused on the meta for sure. We definitely focused on the kind of like principal element of what's going on, you know. Um, Josh brought up John Danaher. John Danaher, it's like after watching that guy teach, you know, and I've watched a lot of his instructionals and I like have spent a lot of time just watching his instructionals, taking notes, going and teaching my class straight out of his instructionals just because they're so good. But like after you see that guy teach, it's like, oh man, is there any going back? Like this is like the archetype of like how it should, I mean, if you don't know who John Donaher is, he is a PhD. He has a, he's a PhD in philosophy from Columbia University. He was an instructor. He was a, he taught at Columbia University, stopped teaching philosophy at Columbia University to teach jujitsu. So the guy understands how to pass along knowledge. You know, he understands that kind of like collegiate approach to teaching and he's implemented that in jujitsu, man. And it has, it's been like wildfire, you know, it's like, you see, F, you know, when John Danaher's students like Gary Tonin and Eddie Cummings, when they first started competing, people were watching them compete. Like, what the hell are these guys doing? Like this, the stuff that they're doing with their leg locks, it's like, it's like they're speaking a different language or something, you know? And now you watch the West Coast trials that just happened this past weekend. Everybody's doing that, you know? And we're talking in a matter of like five or six years, you know? It's, it's insane. It's crazy. But you know, I mean, that's it's technology. It's the interconnectedness of everything nowadays, you know, but it, uh, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I do focus on the meta and I really just try to emulate what John Danaher does and Gordon Ryan, to be honest with you, just because I just don't, they do it so well, you know, and it's like, man, it's hard to do something better than that really, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have my own approach to everything and I'm sure I run my classes a lot different than they do. But like, I really try to like, you know, emulate them as much as possible. To be I mean, honest with you, it's tried and true. Like, look at the results are there. I know. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, it's just more than just their gym. It's every gym now. You know, like unless you're like a gi only school who's like not even doing, you know, like turning leg locks or any of that stuff. Then it's like. Well, okay, maybe you're not going to take that approach, you know. But even even if even in like gi jiu-jitsu, like you still have people like the Mendez bros who were doing like the Barambolos and like lots of kind of innovative, cool stuff there. You know what I mean? The reverse Delahiva and like a lot of that stuff. Like that stuff came from the gi, you know. And some of it is still used no gi, but Danaher kind of really. Well, we can say Dan Her. We have to also have to give credit to Marcelo Garcia too, because that Absolutely. guy, when it comes to Nogi, I mean, who who was a better competitor? You know what I mean? For his for his weight and the people he would beat and how he would beat them and like his emphasis on always getting the submission and never trying to beat people by points and like like his back system, the Marcelo Garcia back system to this day is like John Danaher openly admits that he was influenced by Marcelo Garcia and his back system. You know what I mean? So that guy was, you know, hugely impactful too. So you got to give a shout out to that. Too. Absolutely. Marcelo. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so what do you feel now as somebody who's been around for, for so long, the kind of push and like the movement towards like sub only and no gi as being like way, way more uh, common yeah. and like kind of like what people want to do. 
I personally think it's sick. It's way more fun to watch. What are your thoughts on that? Like, in, yep. do you train in the gi still? <laughs> um, occasionally I'll put on the gi and go train. I'm prefer no gi. Uh, I like the grips. Um, I, I like wrestling over, I like judo, have a lot of respect for judo, but like me personally, I like the wrestling style grips rather than the judo grips where we're using like Russians, collar ties, underhooks rather than like lapels or sleeves or, you know, that type of gripping system. Um, yeah. So I train in the gi very rarely. Um, and then wait, what was your, what was the rest of your question? I'm sorry. So like, how do you feel about the, the like explosion of like the sub only uh, format yes, yeah. and what it is for the sport, you know? And do you see the gi as in some ways becoming like antiquated for like the modern push in jujitsu? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, as far as the sub only explosion goes, I, I think it's awesome. I love it. I do. I'm not a big fan of like the EBI overtime rounds though like if it's a sub only tournament i like the who's number one rules where it's sub only all subs are legal and then if there's no sub we have a judge's decision because i feel like you're rob like if somebody's a better wrestler and you, and you can control that person and you take them down and control them but hey you didn't get the submission or they didn't submit you i feel like you won i feel like you're still the better grappler there you know because grappling is more than just submissions even if it's sub only tournament i understand that but if we're looking at it like holistically, we can't just ignore somebody being a better wrestler. You know what I mean? And controls like, control. Yeah, controls control exactly. And like, yeah, like I, I like what Eddie Bravo did with, with EBI, and because he's really one of the first ones that pushed sub only and got it popular. And I understand what he was trying to do with his overtime rounds. And if you don't know what I mean by that, basically, if there's no submission in EBI rules, you can either you flip a coin and you either start from the person's back or they start on your back or you start an armbar or they, and they start an armbar. And it's like a, you have to try to get the submission or escape. No submission, submission happens. Then they go by the fastest escape, basically. So what you're saying there is you're the fastest, fastest escaper, which I don't know. Like you're, to me, I would rather just have a judge's decision. You know, if the person got out wrestled and lost, okay. Yeah, it's so it's pretty it, strange know. to watch like someone who like was dominating exactly. an entire 10 minute match be like, oh, this guy and doesn't have a good arm bar in general, doesn't really play the arm bar that much. Like doesn't that's sure. not like part of their bread and butter, like and then someone escapes and they win the match. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean you're they're 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 putting a big emphasis on like two little parts of the game on like the back or the jujigatami, the arm bar position. But yeah, it's it's hard for me as well. I have a a student that I coach, I coached him maybe like a month ago out in Orlando at a sub only tournament and it was an EBI style sub only tournament, but they changed the overtime rounds where you get one overtime round. Like, so my student Trenton totally dominated the entire match, almost subbed the kid a couple of times. The kid didn't pass his guard. He was on Mount on the kid the whole time, took the kids back, didn't get the submission, whatever goes to a coin toss. Um, they go to the overtime rounds and I tell Trenton, I say, okay, you take his back, choke him out. Let's go home. You know? So Trenton takes his back. The kid ends up escaping and the kid wins because there's no, there was, they weren't even counting time. They were just saying whoever, it's like a sudden death, whoever wins, you know, but we're going to do one of those tournaments again with him. And we've been training this time for the overtime rounds and like, just to make sure that we, 
you know, if we have the option, we're going to escape from the armbar this time. You know, we're going to, we've been trained that over and over and over again. Back escapes, armbar escapes, armbar attacks and back attacks, you know. Yeah. I think it's like, I, I still train the gi like at least two or three times a week when I'm consistently not on tour, like if I'm home. But for watching it, like, I feel like if I sh- throw on like the pans this weekend and watch it with a bunch of my friends who maybe either like, casually watch ufc or like they have never watched it like the gi stuff is so slow that it's, it's boring like- i mean it's it's unless you are just a you know a, a gi jiu-jitsu aficionado like i'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu and i watch gi jiu-jitsu and i'm bored yeah you know? but then you throw on who's number one yep and exactly people who if they just mildly like combat sports they're entertained they yep. have the walkouts they have the the lights and it feels like a an event you know it feels like an mma fight yeah i mean it's this is competition but ultimately it's entertainment you know what i mean it's like if it weren't entertainment then they people wouldn't there would be no, nobody watching you would just have a closed tournament with no with no spectators right it's like when you open something up to spectators you have to kind of cater to that too right i mean it becomes entertainment you know but i appreciate key jiu-jitsu don't get me wrong i really do it's you know maybe when, when i'm like 50 years old I'll put the key on again and I'll train all the time, you know, right now. I mean, I'm, I'm 39, so I'm, I'm getting there anyways, but, uh, yeah, right now I'm I can still wrestle, you know, I'm still young enough to do that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with no gi for a while, you know, but I'm not hating on the gi. I'm just at this point in my life right now, I choose, yeah. I don't have a whole lot of time. So I have to be very selective where I put my time, you know? And as far as your striking, you, you never uh, wanted to go back to that well and train that? Um, yeah, I mean, every now and again, I would like sit in on a kickboxing class, you know, just to kind of like have my timing. But no, I didn't. I, I really dedicated myself to to grappling and all of my like progressive thought, like trying to get better at it. You know what I mean? Training my mind. I put all of that time into grappling. So I never tried to get better at striking, I guess. It was never really awesome at it, but <laughs> good enough that I I had a false sense of security when uh, somebody shot a double leg takedown on me. So. <laughs> and do you remember what that moment was like when you finally got your black belt after all that hard work? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was awesome. You know, it's. I think that that most people who train jiu-jitsu for that long, they feel like they don't deserve it. You know, like me. <laughs> I remember Rob telling me, "Hey, you know." you're up soon. You know what I mean? Like you're going to get your black belt team, whatever. And I would always tell him like, I'm in no hurry. You know what I mean? Like I want it obviously, but it's like, do I really deserve it? Do what will I ever feel like I actually deserve it? I don't know. You know, that's for him to decide, not for me to decide, you know, but yeah, man, it's a huge honor. It's, you know, it's a, I mean, how many black, how many jujitsu black belts are there worldwide right now? You know, how many doctors are there worldwide right now? You know what I mean? A hell of a lot more doctors than jiu-jitsu black belts for a good reason. But, you know, the time that it takes you to get a black belt in jiu-jitsu, it's like you could have a PhD. It's like, you know, you go through medical school the amount of time, you know? So, yeah, it takes a long time. And it's it's a huge honor, but it's also like in the training room, it's a big target on your back. That's for sure. (laughs) If you're if you're a. If you're a black belt and you're traveling to from school to school, you know, you're on vacation or something like that. Like, oh, man, you better mind your P's and Q's, you know. But no, but it 
it's not that bad obviously i mean it's a lot of people give you a lot of respect in the gym because of it for sure you know but everybody wants to tap a black belt you know (laughs) like everybody blue belt and above wants to tap a black belt if they can so you know the claws definitely come out for you you know Mm -hmm. that's awesome (laughs) i actually got to be in the room when he got it and it was so sick because i was I don't even think I was training jiu-jitsu yet. I think I was just striking at, yeah. the, at the gym, yep. but Josh was getting his black belt. And I was like, yo, I got like, they do the black belt ceremony for all the schools in our network at our gym. Cause our gym's the bigger one. So it was really cool to see like my friend gets like receive his black belt at the school. when I was pretty new to martial arts. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. It was, it was, it was awesome. And it's, it's something that since I've gotten that, I try my best to live up to it. I try to take it seriously, you know, like the the whole like McDojo concept is like <laughs> is like terrifying to me. You know what I mean? Like the the uh, like the oh, I'm, a, I'm a 10 degree black belt in karate or taekwondo. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> like, I don't, like I actually want to like have something to offer. You know what I mean? I don't want to I don't want to I don't want that. Uh, Yeah just the false the falseness that comes with that, the traditional kind of McDojo stuff, you know. I have rolled with you. You are the realest one real. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, you got, have you guys seen that McDojo life on Instagram? Yes, it, it's yes. It very entertaining, and it's kind of it's mind blowing that people actually believe those frauds. It, oh it, it's God. crazy. I know. I have alert notification set up for it. Actually, <laughs> I love it. That's great. There's a. I have. I like have this Instagram group for a bunch of guys at our gym. You know, and there's this. Couple of the guys posted it, but there's a school up in Wesley Chapel. I'm not going to say any names or anything. There's some traditional martial arts school, and they have this commercial out. And I'll send it to you, Josh, so you can see it out. They have this commercial out that's like, "We teach self-defense, not sports," and it shows like some like 12-year-old girl, like you know, doing like katas. It's like this is self-defense, and then it goes to Khabib and Dustin Poirier, and it says, "This is a sport." I'm like. You guys, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I know that some of the guys from the group, like, we should just show up there. I'm like, my guys, they're going to hit us with the tiger claw and I yell just, and we are not going to get out of their lives. So we can't do that. You know, no, I'm kidding. But, yeah. But for real, that's like a real thing. It's, it's amazing to me. That's crazy. Uh, want to switch gears to talk about the music. Uh, I was curious to hear about uh, your guys' experience at LDB because you guys played, right? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's a, that's that's an awesome festival, man. Really, really cool kind of like atmosphere too, especially like everybody was super nice and super cool. A lot of really good bands, so many good bands. And mm. is that something you guys want to start to do more, right? Because I, I know you got these uh, shows lined up with uh, Zabalba, but as far as like, you know, getting out there and traveling and playing out of state. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my life and Josh's life are both hectic. I feel like if there's two people that actually everyone in the band, the guitar player is a teacher. Uh, Josh is, you know, has a, a job and he teaches. I'm tour managing and out all the time. But I did. I, I do think, you know, and I can speak for myself here. and Josh can elaborate if he agrees. But like playing LDB definitely made me like, man, I, I really enjoy being in a band. And I, I would like to have the creative outlet to do it more because like, we're not really having to do a lot, but the shows every time the band plays are sick. Yeah, And I'm super thankful lucky. that everywhere we've played, there's been people who's like, 
enjoyed it and uh, had fun. And it put a fire under my ass to like, okay, we, we pretty much finished the record now and we're going to do this weekend was a blah, blah. And then in May, we're actually getting to play with Advent in North Carolina. Um, so those so cool sick. shows happening and we have new music that I really am. I think is like my favorite music that I've ever sang on. Cause Josh is such a good guitar player. I'm not having to write it all anymore. I'm able to like leave. And when I'm on the road, he's sending me ideas and, and the band's practicing without me. Cause that was the big holdup for a long time is between like state of mind and the, the production job and then adding like, you know, training three hours a day when I'm home every day, like practice was like definitely something I'd, I wasn't down to do regularly, but I like to write music and I like to create. So if they are writing, even if I can only come to practice once a month, there's music being coming out yeah. sent to me. I can write lyrics and then like we finished a record pretty much. So yeah, I definitely want to do it more often. I'd like, I'd like to do a tour next year. Like even if it's like seven to 10 days. And yeah, it's, and it's, it's really cool to being a band that I mean, we're a small band, but when we play, like we played at LDB and the reception was amazing. Like it was almost like surprising, you know, how, how well received you were. I mean, even stage dive Jesus was there showing up in full form. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that guy's name. Shout out to him. He's super cool though. And I don't I'm not talking shit. <laughs> and I'm just curious. And obviously all of you are, are super busy. Is that why there's been such a gap, um, you know, with music coming out? I mean, yeah, I honestly, if you would have had this conversation with me like a year ago, I'd be like, yeah, we'll probably put out music eventually. But yeah, I think we're trying to create consistency now um, because we, during the pandemic, we started writing and then I got too busy with like right when shows came back, it was like zero to a hundred for me, you know, like I work for 33 bands right now and um, you know, I have 33 artists I do production for like five to seven venues between Tampa and Orlando. You know, I'm married and I have a home life. And then I, I probably am at Gracie 20 hours out of the week. So yeah, like Josh trains a lot. It's, it's crazy how much he trains. <laughs> um, and like, for me, my biggest priority was my health and that getting everything in check, but we're going to, I will say like in the next month and a half, I want to be in the studio putting a record out. Yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. We have we have new stuff. We play a couple of the songs. Uh, we'll play a couple of the songs this weekend coming up. But but yeah, the goal is to put out an EP within like the next month or so. So okay, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I was curious if it was gonna be like an EP or a full length since it's, uh, since it's been a couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, all the guys in the band are super talented too. Like they really are, man. We're lucky to have you know Ryan and Damian and. Even the guy who's we have a fill-in drummer on the next show, this kid Colby, and he's like, kid's twenty-one years old, but he's phenomenal. Well, you know, he's it's it's so much fun playing with him, honestly. But uh, yeah, so we're we're super lucky there. It it just makes it a lot easier. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to practice as much because we've all been playing long enough that you know we're we're not professional musicians, but we're we're pretty close to it at this point. You know what I mean? We've been around the block for a little while, so. It, it makes it fun. It's not like, like this, like arduous thing. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. somebody can come in with a song idea and we can kind of elaborate off of it pretty easily, you know? Yeah. And for me, like strengthen was like, we were trying to be a full-time band and it was like at the end, the shows finally were good. And I was so like burnt out with being on tour that I was like, 
the, the, the year that everything went good with strength and I was like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I just want to go to my house. <laughs> I just want to go to bed. And now to do this, like every time I play, I'm like reminded, man, I really enjoy having this like artistic outlet and I enjoy the you know catharsis that comes with playing in a band like this and uh, talking about stuff that's like very meaningful to me. But I don't want to do this like as my career. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do it for something that's, that's fun. That's rough. You know? you know, and it's uh it's it's very enjoyable. I, I I actually think that I'm having more fun with exit strategy than I ever had in like the 10 years of doing strengthen. And you think that's just because you're not trying to take that like you know pro path and you guys are just kind of doing it on your own time? Yeah, it's like there's no pressure. Like if we play a show and our like we it's it is what it is, it's fine. It's like I go home to my regular bed and you know, within within three to four days, at least, I know I'm home after the show, and it's like it doesn't really affect me outside of like, oh, that was a cool show or that wasn't a cool show. But on the flip side, when it's good, it's like, you know, we're creating memories and we're having fun and like we're getting to play like so many cool bills and like with so many bands I respect. Like, shout out to Ball, but this weekend's gonna be awesome. Like, obviously, I've been tour managing them and I'm out with them for every show, but uh these two shows us getting to play is really exciting we're playing in miami because barry dream just had to drop and i was talking to nate i was like yeah we could do it and he was like yeah just why don't you have exit strategy open miami too so that's cool like a lot of hardcore bands don't ever play miami like it's not a normal thing not anymore it used yeah. to be used miami to be, but... used south florida used to have a violent music scene man like yeah. early 2000s like oh yeah oh, there man. There's a band what? that I, I saw, that, uh, Dreams You Die In. I'm not sure if you guys remember that band. Oh, yeah. Which, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They made it out to California one year. This is like early 2000s. It was like them and Pale Horse. Nice. One of those bands is sick. Pale Horse is sick. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. What a, yeah. Or like Remembering Never until the end, like Mean Pete's bands, you know, yeah. Bishop. Oh, like. there's like a, a, a strong lineage, but I'm just talking like right now, post pandemic. There's not hardcore shows. No. I think they just had yeah, that warehouse show this weekend. It looked awesome. But like to get to play Miami, since there's no church hills right now, yeah. it's pretty cool. Like, and it's very hard, like out of all the bands I work for, like I had to like bust ass to get Las Rosas to do the show. And uh, I think it's going to be fucking insane. Yeah. It's a small room right in the heart of Wynwood. You know, Zabalba celebrating 15 years and the Miami show is free. So I think that's just a recipe for an incredible evening. So how did that work out? How was the show free? I was curious about that. Uh, Lost Roses never charges for the shows. They always do free. Oh, um, wow. It's like right in Wynwood. So, you know, it's the bar is going to crush and they, they, they take care of everyone. And it's, it's fun. And then in uh, Tampa, obviously, I booked that show. We're going to do that. Tampa, I think, is, you know, has a very sick scene. Like all even the small shows we're doing are crushing it right now. And I'm very, very proud of where the scene is now compared to where it was like five years ago. Cause I feel like shows are just more well attended and uh, there's like a lot of appreciation for the people who are doing the stuff from the, the young kids who are coming out. Yeah. So I'm very excited for this weekend. It's gonna be you know, and it could just be my kind of anecdotal experience, but like dude, to me, it seems like hardcore is bigger now than it's been in a long time. You know, like bands like turnstile and Jimmy Kimmel, you know, or it's like, the attention that's coming from that alone it's like it's great i mean don't get me wrong but it's like it's just surprising i don't yeah. know you know like i remember playing plenty of shows with 
bands that were awesome and on tour and like you know there's like 15 people there or whatever you know and now it's like maybe it's just because we're you know an exit strategy and we're lucky that we get to play some awesome shows but man it seems like the seems like hardcore is you know pretty damn big right now you know yeah i, I think it has to do it has to do with uh it taking like time off during the pandemic and i think people kind of got a chance to realize that this thing isn't guaranteed and there was such a hunger for those that year and a half where nothing was going on you know publicly i know there was like some secret stuff you know like around the country but for it to come back and be able to you know uh, be in full swing i'm i'm thinking people now these days are just taking advantage of that knowing that it could be gone you know again and then also in that time of it being away new kids popping up discovering it online and not being able to go to any live shows so i think that is like a real big factor in why it's so you know vibrant and like popular now yeah and a lot of the nerds who just complain about it just left thankfully There's still some around. <laughs> I mean, there's some, but I, I definitely, I, I think I saw some weeding out of the people who, uh, you know, they couldn't get anything out of it when it wasn't around. And then they found some other thing to fucking leech on. And then, you know, they can go leech on another community, but stay the fuck out of ours, you know? Now, I, I'm just uh, curious with uh, these Zabalba shows, uh, were you ever able to lock down that Hawaii date? Uh, I... I, I, it will happen. That's why it says TBA. But I'm not. I'm not fully sure what's going on or when, because uh, that's one of like Nate's friends doing the show, and eventually we'll get that worked out, though. Okay, because I'm just curious, because for any band to go to Hawaii to do shows, it's uh, pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, they've done it before. Mm-hmm. They're like such a like. I, I can't say enough good things about those guys. Is like they're such a band who really values the community and values the experience. Um, and so they'll do that. You know, they've played Southeast Asia. They, you know, they, they, they've toured the world and played a lot of places that bands overlook because I feel like, uh, they're just dudes who are present and active in the community and really care. Um, and it's like sick, like, yeah, I work for them and like, you know, yeah, like, um, I'm around them and I'm definitely extremely biased, but I think that if you, you cannot show me a band that is more passionate and more involved and care about the growth of hardcore and the growth of the community than those guys, like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and just like numerous times, I'm just impressed by their sentiment and the way that they talk about the community and like, what they want to see and like you know martin you know plays in every fucking band and he like he's a lifer you know what i mean like that dude personifies like what hardcore is to me like nate he does like the toy drive and you know i've worked that so many times and played it and like you cannot look at that and not put respect on that band for what they do and show the community like how important it is to be active not just in hardcore but like in the greater community that and serve the greater community that you live in and show people that like we're not just like angry music that like there's more to it and it's passion you know exactly so yeah about like that like you know a lot of bands don't play hawaii probably because a lot of bands are like either a the promoter won't bring them out because like there's not going to be any demand for it so it's just not going to be worth the promoter time or you know it's not going to the band's going to lose money or b they're not going to make money but i feel like a band like zabalba you know, they've played a lot of places that you won't expect a band to play just because they really care about the experience and like the shared global hardcore community. 
hundred percent. Yeah, they're one of those bands that uh, isn't full time, but still has like a diehard following. And when they pop up, like people show up and support them. Yeah, I mean, we just did a whole little tangent on why Zabalba is the shit. But hey, I've been I've been flying out with them every weekend for like what a month and a half now, and I'm not sick of it. I think it's sick. You know, I got utmost respect to those guys. Okay, well. Thank you for answering my uh, curiosity about Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't, don't most bands when they play Hawaii, they can only play in Oahu anyways, right? Like, I've actually never put together a show in Hawaii. Yeah. Last time, like way before I worked for them, they went with Barry Dreams, I think. And I was going to go just fly out and hang out at the place. Sure. But tickets were too expensive and there was a lot going on. So I ended up opting out. But it's cool. I mean, I'd like to go. I hope that they play Hawaii's there. Awesome. If you can go to Hawaii, definitely go to Hawaii. Me sure. and Brittany, we honeymoon there. Oh, great. Okay, okay, good, good. Yeah, I love Hawaii. I've never been. One day, I'll get out there. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I, I'm lucky that I have a couple good friends on a couple of the islands out there. Shout out Gavin. Oh yeah, he was. He's a. He just was sharing the last episode. He'll be stoked to hear. Yeah. You give him a shout yeah. on this one. <laughs> um, yeah, Jamie. You know. Because we are the number one MMA podcast in the world, we can probably just expense it. No big deal. All right. <laughs> right. You, there you go. <laughs> you just tell me uh, when and, and I will make sure I have those dates cleared. Let's make it happen, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool, man. This has been an awesome conversation. I got a couple other things I wanted to kind of just more for like fun questions, you know? Sure. So like if you were to tell anybody at the gym that you train with like five bands they should check out in the hardcore community what would you tell them hardcore specifically or bands that are like hardcore adjacent even whatever you think just something for them to uh kind of know more about the community the culture you're in man that's hard because it's like there are new bands that i want to like introduce people to and then you have your like you know the old school hardcore bands you know it's like if I'm going to tell people to listen to hardcore, I'm going to have to say, okay, you have to start at minor threat, right? Or you're going to start at bad brains or start on like, you know, the old, and then maybe bands like terror, you know, bands that have just been around and like done it, done it, you know, um, <laughs> hardcore is such a, it, it's, there are so many different elements and levels to it too, that it's like, man, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like, give specific because it's like you can you can name five bands and then each of them can be a different style you know what i mean and it's like but uh but yeah i would probably say like minor threat bad brains terror um even more like new bands like inclination i really like those guys a lot um i i play when i when i have my class i have like a a structure to how i structure the music during class because i'm a music nerd and i have to have music and like when I'm teaching, I just play like instrumental lo-fi hip hop, no words, you know. But as soon as we start drilling, I, you know, I'm gonna throw on, and I'm gonna throw on like magnitude, or I'm gonna throw on, uh, you know, any anything that that I'm into. You know, I, I really like the band that band End now, also. But I mean, they're they're gonna be more on like the heavier heavier spectrum there. But <laughs> I even I'll even put on like tsunami or like you know just some like beat down stuff too like i i try to i try to pick bands when i'm playing that the, that the students will like but also bands that like you know 
they're they're just so unfamiliar with it they're like what is this you know what i mean something that's like has some kind of appeal to it but like very different than what they're used to you know what i mean um so it's funny because i kind of like try to do influence my students like by putting on music you know like even if i'm just putting on like comeback kid or like you know whatever something that's like kind of easy to listen to you know like and a lot of times too i'll play music and like you know kids will come up to what is this like what are you know like I've never heard this. What is this? You know, and I'm like, I go on a tangent and start telling them or whatever, you know. So, but um, if you want to talk about like a couple new bands that I like love yeah. right so now, let's do five new bands. Five, five, five new five bands. New bands. Oh, man, I, don't, I don't even know five new bands, but I will say, well, you think you said like four. Right? <laughs> okay. Uh, that I really like that band, No Pressure, right now, but they're more of like a punky kind of yeah. pop punk outfit, but. That band's so good. I think it's the singer for Story so far. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's another band uh, called Victory Garden. Okay. Like, uh, Shout out Long of, Island. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Long Island. Yeah. And Koyo. Can't go wrong there. Yeah. Just, we'll just start naming Long Island bands, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Brutal Truth. Right? Um, I think they're from Long Island, right? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Um, oh, man. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I probably have already named like inclination they're not really super new though but yeah i'd say they're new they're, yeah, they're going the newer yeah um oh man one more <laughs> um oh, let me think it's hard put me on the spot <laughs> um i don't know maybe like vein do you consider vein a new yeah. band yeah. That, that would definitely classify yeah. as newer hardcore to me yeah and that and even those bands that i mentioned it's like that's such a spectrum you know what i mean it's like like you, we, you call it hardcore, but it's like they they sound nothing alike from each other, and it's like beautiful. I think that's amazing. You well, know? Like shout out Joe. I mean, like this is hardcore fest. Like showcases that you know. It's like exactly to me, hardcore is like there's definitely a defined sound with like the you know what is like hardcore when it first came out. But at this point, like Vane is hardcore, uh, but so is Bad Brains. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know it's crazy. It's it, it's it's beautiful, and like that's why I love the name of that festival, and like I love everything that Joe does because he puts together. I mean, and all the festivals do it. Like shout out, you know, this is hardcore. Shout out, Sound and Fury. Shout out the Rumble. Yeah. You know, LDB, uh, FYA. Like it's cool because you go to a hardcore fest and like there's a perception for people like who might be listening to this in the gym culture that think that hardcore is just like death metal. Because they don't know the difference. Or like hate breed, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what I think a lot of people think. But the reality is you could come to a show. You could, like, we could take anyone from Gracie and take them to FYA. Or, you know, like anyone who's at a jiu-jitsu gym and if they were to go to This Is Hardcore. And they might not like, um, you know, they, they might not like Vane. But they might hear No Pressure. Yeah. And then like that resonates. Or they might hear Turnstile and it resonates with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, really cool. And ultimately like i think can be a bridge into other stuff is like we need bands like no pressure we need bands like turnstile um you know even like they weren't a hardcore band but they in my opinion i still consider like title fight something that was very involved with hardcore yeah we need that as a bridge to bring people into the community because or that being cruelty that's a new band you guys should check out if you're not yeah it's it's crazy if you think about like if you were to play somebody who doesn't know anything and say here's a cruelty song <laughs> and here's an angel dust song right and then try to explain to that person that that's the same scene 
I know. Or <laughs> or play Angel Dust and play Trapped Under Ice and say, yeah, these are the same guys. <laughs> like, what? Or some yeah. of the same guys, you know? It's really cool. Is that the guy that, the guy that sang for Trapped Under Ice? Obviously, he's an Angel Dust. Yeah, he sings an Angel Dust. And too. now, is he, Davey was telling me, is, is he like, a, he just writes songs for like, pop musicians or something he's like a ghost songwriter david was telling me something like i that. couldn't speak on that and yeah. it, it might be, wrong, be true but, but it, it might just be a david davidism <laughs> Maybe. where okay. he just had heard something and right. watered it down a little bit I, dude if you listen to that last angel Dust you, record david. though like i believe it because every song on that record if you listen to it it's like holy crap the all of these could be like some kind of pop hit from somewhere between like 1990 and like 2020 you know what i mean like there's some variation of like this song sounds like weezer oh this song sounds like third eye blind or this song sounds cool. like yeah it's really cool man it's like that guy's got to be you know very talented to say the least to be able to do that you know 100 so, yeah, yeah. well this has been awesome um i know you gotta teach soon I, I'm going to go to class, but I don't have to teach. But yeah, just go to go to South today, then. <laughs> right. Um, but can, yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. yeah go can for I be it. Like, can I be that guest? That's like. Here we Let's go. do it. Um, <laughs> so I uh, let me see here. Do you guys believe in aliens? Going way off topic. Do you believe in? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. So do I. So we're all in agreement there. Um, oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> right. Uh, heroes all right musical martial arts or life you can pick one from each or you can just pick one you go first Shane. heroes yes so, somebody that you look up to somebody who has like influenced you in a way that and it can be from music mm -hmm. it can be from martial arts or it can just be from life you know <laughs> you know if i'm gonna be honest uh i admire uh ariel helwani right and i i, I tell people all the time because uh, uh, I you know do my own podcast, the Jamie RK podcast, and I look at what he's done with the MMA hour and the way he structures uh, his interviews and the way that he carries himself when it comes to being a, a journalist. And like you know, I'm not a journalist, but uh, just seeing how he carries that podcast every week and to be able to produce uh, an epic show like that every week, it, it's. Yeah. Um, kind of I, I you know inspired me to do what i do and i just have uh, admired him for so long and i've followed him for so long he's like the only like uh mma journalist that i you know kind of follow through all the social media channels like i, I follow other ones too but not as closely as i follow him just because i, mean, I like what he produces in the way uh, that he's uh, kind of carried himself through the years through all his you know ups and downs i've just been there to witness them all and i think uh, he's amazing and that, that's someone that i would love to to meet one day nice yeah he's and you know like if you if you watch him because i've been an mma fan for a long time mm -hmm. you know as soon as i found out randy couture was a person i was like obsessed with mma um but uh, if you look at Ariel Hawani too, from like when he started to where he is now, like you look at the film of his interviews and stuff, it's like, man, in the beginning, it's like, who is this guy? Why is he holding a microphone talking to people? And now he's like, he's like the authority on like MMA reporting, really. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. he's like the best for sure, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool to see that. But... <clears throat> what about you, Joshua? Uh, that's a hard one. I have, <laughs> I have artists that I like love their catalog. I don't have any heroes though at this point in my life. Yeah, I think that like there's definitely influencers. 
there's people who influence yeah. me, but more so, like, I just want to say, like, the only, like, people that I really let allow to influence me heavily at this point are, like, my friends. Like, I, I've i learned that, like, the hero complex just, like, kind of lets you down. Of course. And um, almost everyone I've met working in the entertainment industry that I, like, you know, kind of aspire to be, I've learned, like, oh, like, it's most like a facade. Most, most people are pretty <laughs> fucking hollow. Yeah. <laughs> and the only heroes or the only people I look up to in my life are the people that I, I live and share life with. You know, I look up yeah. to you. You know, I look up to, you know, my buddy John ABC. I look up to, you know, uh, my friends. Yeah. You know, I look up to Evan Miller or my friend Mark or you or, you know, John or like Billy or, or, or my coaches way more than I look up to any celebrity. So I'll just say like my friends, Yeah, you know, that's, that's awesome. like my only, the only people that mean that have a meaningful impact on my life are the people yeah. that I share life with. It's awesome. That's awesome. That's cool. Is that it on, on your questions? Oh, you know, I can, I, I can, I can grill you guys. Okay. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> uh, dream fight matchup, right? If you could pick two fighters from any organization, any time and you can put them in the ring right now they don't we're talking them in their prime not them now uh two you know two fighters who would it be and we're talking mma fight okay mm-hmm. go ahead jamie <laughs> I, I it was so close to happening but i, I really wish we could have seen the gsp versus khabib fight because i feel like that yeah, would have been like really interesting like obviously gsp uh, didn't have a perfect mma record but for him in my opinion i i look at him as uh the goat just the way that he's carried himself inside and outside the ring and what he's accomplished in his career oh, yeah. to to see him to go up to uh someone uh you know from the modern era and be able to i think he would have uh, you know, been able to put up a way better fight than what we've seen Khabib's gone up against. So that's something that I kind of am really bummed that we never got to see, even though uh, it it was on the table, Uh, you know, GSP wanted to do it, Khabib wanted to do it, but it was just the promotion, uh, you know, kind of put a halt to that whole thing. So that's something that I I wish we could have seen. Yeah. If you watch uh, John Danaher get interviewed by Lex Friedman, he's interviewed him twice, but on one of them, he, he asks him that question. He says, who wins in a fight, GSP or Khabib? And Danaher goes into it super in-depth on, like, their styles and, like, what Khabib is good at and what GSP is good at. So, like, that might be something you might want to check out because it's, it's really interesting the way he breaks it all down and doesn't really give, like, a definitive answer either way. He's just like, you know, GSP is really good at at shoot, at hitting you in the face and then shooting a takedown where Khabib is really good at pushing you against the cage and pulling you down. They're both masters of control. They're both masters of submission, you know, mm-hmm. but two kind of different approaches as to like how to get it to the ground, you know, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What about uh, you, Josh? Dream fight matchup. I mean, I got, I got one that obviously won't happen and one that yeah, it doesn't have happens to be this to year. Yeah. So my first one would be, I want to see Ali and Tyson. <laughs> yeah um i think that'd be sick. in an mma fight you want to see the mma fight i mean they're probably <laughs> gonna box but i just want to see those two fight yeah who who shoots the first takedown in that fight i think nobody takes it. i think no. it's just a, a heavyweight brawl i don't know man i think i think tyson would get frustrated and try to pick him up <laughs> i can see that and my second one is a grappling match like just fucking do it already andre versus gordon i want to see it you know? that's gonna be september man we'll see Abu though Dhabi, is yeah. it gonna happen that's the thing is uh, he gonna show up yeah, I mean, if you just want, 
Andre Andre Galvao just competed in one FC in like a grappling match yeah. and like holy shit man like it's watching him do that I mean it's not like he did bad but man if that were Gordon in there it's like it ain't gonna be good it's not gonna be pretty for Andre I, I mean I don't know and I think Andre came into that fight pretty small too compared to I think Gordon walks around at what, like 230 yeah. now. <laughs> like, Andre is probably like a natural 170. <laughs> like, I, I know he fought MMA at 170. And at this point, I'm a fan of uh, Gordon Ryan as an athlete, as like a social media presence and like the stuff. Like, I could give, like, I, I have no emotional attachment to the guy. But for all the shit that Andre's talked about him, I want to see it. Oh, yeah. I want to see it. And I, obviously, I, I, I feel like it's going to be very very uh, i think it'll go down i, I think towards if, ryan though <laughs> oh of course yeah i i uh if if andre Galvao doesn't do it i mean that's like everybody's going to be looking at him like I mean, he's been afraid. trying it down like, for so long i know yeah exactly but now it's like he you know he is in the position he is the he was the open weight champ gordon won that spot now so then, i mean now it's like he has no reason no you know to say no at this point so yeah so who are who are your two or what's MMA, your fight yeah. sure sure mma fight okay you know i wasn't even ready for this but no um you wrote it <laughs> yeah right yeah uh man so maybe like i i've always wanted to see uh anderson silva and gegard musasi in their prime go against each other i always thought that Nobody would give Gegard a chance in that fight, but I honestly think that he is good enough on the feet that he could, he's not going to beat Anderson Silva on the feet, but he's so well-rounded that he could switch it up and possibly like really give Anderson a, you know, a fight. And yeah. then like prime Anderson Silva was just a force, man. That guy was like just amazing to watch when he was in his yeah. prime, you know, awesome. sucks to kind of see him hold on to it for too long and you know kind of go the route he did yeah. but. for the ufc to start drug testing and yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know these things happen you know but you know i i've always i've honestly always thought too like why doesn't the ufc just buy like a japanese organization and if you fail the drug test just send them to japan you have your you have the ufc which is like the clean league and then you have your like Japanese freak show league where everyone's just jacked up on steroids and they're just beating the crap out of each other. Like, I would like, come that. on, man! Like, in a, in a heartbeat, you know what I mean? Like, people, there, there's there's marketability here for this, you know? Yeah. But well, yeah, isn't I'm that um, uh, Ryzen? Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you look at I mean, Vitor, Vitor's in Ryzen, much. and he looks like how he did when he was on that TRT. Yeah, I think that's like most of the Japanese promotions. They're just like we don't give a fuck <laughs> i think it's sick i mean if especially if you as a fighter know what you're getting in, yourself into like if you know everyone else is doing it yeah. you don't have to but you can yeah i mean i mean sure you guys have heard the stories from pride where they had like part of the contract would say like we do not test for steroids like it was like in bold print <laughs> like uh -huh. do what you want or like i remember uh hearing eddie bravo talk about one of his fighters who was like 170 pound fighter and the pride promoters were like no 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 no, we would need you to fight at 185 and he's like what <laughs> like how am i gonna get to 185 and they're like we do not test for steroids you know <laughs> like you can get so there crazy. <laughs> i know man but i mean it's it's much more emphasis on entertainment and i mean it goes back to that whole thing from the beginning it's like this is entertainment guys you know like 
you watch pride you watch the japanese fights they let them have these big extravagant like walkouts and like there's like dancing girls and stuff and like okay maybe that takes away from like the purity of the sport but like i love it i think i it's if it's entertainment bring it on you it's know incredible. like yeah i think it's great and these guys know how to fight i mean yeah yeah like yeah that make like that shit makes you more i guess recover better but ultimately you still have to put the work in and train yeah absolutely man. you're not there's, there's there are shortcuts, but that's not like, you know, like that's not an end all be all. That's for damn sure, you know. No, yeah, I mean, you got to train, you got to put the hours in. Yeah. Any Absolutely. other questions you got for us? Oh, man. Let's cap it off at least one more <laughs> before we go uh, two and a half hours of getting right. my ass kicked. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to date myself with this question. All right. And maybe <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, who wins in a fight? This is a celebrity matchup, right? Okay. Robert Smith from The Cure. Or Morrissey from the Smiths. <laughs> oh. I know. And like 90% of your audience is like, who are we talking about? Uh, no, there's definitely <laughs> Okay. There's definitely a, a bunch of so, people who So who like wins, most. Robert Smith or Morrissey, Jamie? I want to say Robert Smith just because I hate Morrissey. Yes. Yes. That is the correct answer. <laughs> Josh. Yeah, dude. I mean, like Morrissey probably like looks better in the warm up. Like when he walks out, he looks better and he's probably more cut. But Robert Smith looks like a fucking freak and he's probably just has like so much untapped aggression, just dude, destroys so this guy. Robert Smith has been wearing makeup forever. That dude has been picked on so much. For sure he's got some crazy internal rage that's gonna come out on Morrissey. Plus, I don't even think Morrissey would show up to the fight. Yeah, he, he can't he doesn't show up to his shit. own show. Exactly. And I mean I have a lot of vegan friends and a lot of respect for vegans, but Morrissey's also a vegan too, you know. So I mean, like, you know, yeah. I'm like a blatant <laughs> carnivore here, so I'm an asshole. Yeah, he can't. He can't. They can't fight at any stadium like that. Does you have like martial arts because you know the no meat in the venue rule that wouldn't work for him. Right. So I don't yeah. think he'd show up. Yeah, exactly. I think we unanimously promoters would be let down by Morrissey. Plus, the <laughs> Morrissey has not written whether it be the Smiths or his solo stuff, like, and he's got tracks undeniable. He might be a fucking, like, I, I don't vouch or co-sign for him because of, you know, the blatant racism and like the bullshit, but yeah. the dude's got tracks. I'm not going to say he doesn't. That being said, he's never wrote written. Sorry, excuse my language. Uh, he's never written anything as good as disambiguation. Hands down. Yeah, the Cure put out so many good albums, and Robert Smith is a huge part of writing all of that. You know, yeah. the dude is undeniable. So I'm I'm glad we're all in agreement on that. So <laughs> easy answer in my book. Cool. This is fun. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much. We gotta do it again. The shows are gonna be awesome. We're excited. Uh, yep. Jamie, as always, thanks for uh, being the man. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Last week we did this in your spot, and now I have a guest here. One day we'll do an entire podcast in the same room. We'll make it happen one day uh, when I make it back out to Tampa. Yeah, absolutely. FYA Fest next year, right? I'll, yeah, I'll be staying with Josh. We got some straightening out to do. Awesome. So. <laughs> um. we, we won't talk about that on air. Um, so actually, before we one more time before we leave, Jamie, how was the From Within record showcase this weekend? Oh, shout out. Uh, Carter Holmes, Marty Williams, Bob Wilson, that uh, showcase was amazing. Uh, you know, Pennsylvania Hardcore has a special place in my heart. They 
always treat me with respect. They make me feel like I'm at home. So I, I had a great time. All the bands were amazing from Statement of Pride all the way to Eco Strike. Nobody had a bad set. My favorite set of the weekend was Shackled. Shout out New Jersey Hardcore. It, it, was, it was a great time. I uh, obviously love the label. I'm down with them for life. The Beskar shirts uh, you know, were awesome. People were stoked on them. So I, I have nothing but uh, you know, positive things to say about that show. And I will be back. I'm looking forward to the next one. The uh, Once in Unity Comp Volume 3 uh, should be announced soon for anyone who's listened to the From Within Records podcast. They, they mentioned that briefly. Uh, and the lineup is pretty awesome. So stay tuned. Cool. Yeah, I just want to, I think it's neat what uh, that label is doing. And it's cool that you got to be out there. I was in LA. The Zabalba shows were sick there, but uh, yeah, it looked like you're having a fucking great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing this podcast with you. Um, Same here. It was fun. It's it's more and more episodes are coming. Josh, so, thanks guys. for being on the show. Yep, thank, thank you, you Josh. Me. Thank you, Evan. Yes. And uh, before we leave, I just want to do a quick plug. Uh, our friends at American Barbell Club—they're an awesome powerlifting gym out of Gainesville. They've got a really cool online store. Lots of awesome shirts. It's like physical culture shit, but influenced by the hardcore community you can go there website at abcstrong.com also we have our friends we always talk about the block muay thai out of gainesville as well um they are a real deal muay thai gym where the coaches are both from the hardcore community and they have an online store as well and uh, you can get like your cow stuff made in thailand shipped to you super fast because it's coming out of florida it's not coming from thailand and you can know that you're supporting people in our community that are you know completely pot committed to the physical culture and the hardcore community. So go to their website, theblockmoitai.com, pick something up. And then lastly, uh, as I talk about like all the uh, the band stuff that I, I work on, uh, stateofmindtouring.com. You can see all the news anytime I announce a tour, it goes on the website. And uh, yeah, stay plugged in what I'm doing because uh, I love my job. I think I have the coolest job in the world. All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Goodbye. Yeah.